Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. We are brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And today I'm doing an episode I'm really excited about. This is my first mailbag episode where I'm answering a bunch of questions that were submitted to me on Twitter and uh, Reddit. And first of all, I just want to thank everybody for sending in questions. The response was overwhelming. I mean, I've got like 40, 50 questions to go through, and I really want to try to get through everything. I'm up right now. It's like 8.45-ish on a Thursday, so I want to just give myself a nice little window here to answer as many questions as possible. This could be a longer episode. I'm not sure how fast I'm going to get through these, but this is fun. I used to do, um, you know, live streams on my Periscope, which I guess is shut down now. So now it's Twitter live, which I don't know if I've seen anybody use maybe other than Pooch, uh, my guy, my guy Pooch. I think he's, I think he's figured out Twitter live. I I've barely used it. So I used to do those there. I used to do YouTube live. And uh, kind of similar thing, I would just answer questions as they come in. This one I've actually been able to prep a little bit more. Pulled up some stats. I have a couple that I'm pretty excited to share. So this will be fun, though. Um, just quickly, though, a public service announcement, I guess. Next couple weeks are going to be a little tricky for me, content-wise. I have some family in town over the holidays. Uh, and because of Omicron, going to be pretty much uh, indoors, you know, kind of staying home entertaining so you know cooking and watching christmas movies and whatnot uh or just you know at outdoor venue type things so regardless i i have family here uh and i'll be trying to do as much as i can i'm you know so we might be looking at like one podcast a week versus two um i just rather give you guys the heads up on this stuff you know i don't want to like fall short and you know yeah i guess fall short of my goals and fall short of you know, providing you guys with as much good content as I can. So I, I don't know. I figured I had to let you guys know that. Um, let's start here. Let's start at the top. It's from Nathaniel Hine on Twitter. And uh, pardon me, I'm going to be taking breaks. I have my big water gallon jug here to take a sip of water. But I'll read this question, take a sip of water, and we'll do this. Uh, what do you think David Duke Jr. has... Do you think David Duke Jr. has done enough to be a part of the rotation when everyone is back fully fit? Um, do I think he's done enough? I, I've liked what he's done and I know I, the Nets are really high on him internally and I, I see it, you know, the, any guard that gets 14 rebounds in a game is like super, super interesting to me. And I think everybody feels that way. The, the thing I come back to is I think it was against the it could have been Toronto. I feel like there was a play against the 76ers also. The ball swung his way in crunch time moments. And by the way, he's he's playing in crunch time, which shows you how much Nash believes in him. Um, but it, the ball swings his way. 
And he has a big record scratch moment. And what I mean by that is the ball swings, clock is expiring, and he has the opportunity to either shoot, drive, or pass on and and pass the next player. And instead he just kind of freezes and doesn't do anything. And I don't know. I I just, you know, I, I come back to that. I get it. It's one moment. He's a young player. But... If you're playing rookies, you need to feel like you know what you're going to get from them at every single point in the game, especially on a veteran team like this. And again, so like he's really young. I I don't want to be like sound like I'm coming down on him for not making the right play in like one game, but um I I think, you know, right now like the what he doesn't provide at the moment is shooting. Um and there are a bunch of other guys on this roster including, you know, somebody like Bruce Brown or DeAndre Bembry. And right now, I just don't think he's quite as good as those guys. He's playing because those guys are out of the fold right now. Um, So because of that, yeah, I I don't think he's going to be a part of the rotation just because I think they have, the Nets have better versions of him. But long term, I I think, you know, I mean, they're high on him. Uh, We'll see what happens with the three. Um, You know, you just never know the development of that stuff. But I, I do think there's a world where he's a contributor in the next couple of years. But right now, probably not. This is from Colin Brady on Twitter. What is your favorite SpongeBob episode? Uh, (laughs) Probably Tea at the Tree Dome, where where I think it's SpongeBob was in Sandy's house. And he goes, I need water. That's that's the one right there. Sorry about that bad impersonation. (laughs) That's probably probably my favorite one. And then here's a serious question from him. Seriously, though, what is our ideal five-man lineup as of January? KD, Harden, Kyrie, Harris, and Clax? I like that lineup for sure. I think that's a good, that's definitely a good option. I would think about, I would think about putting Patty Mills in there, either for Joe, though again, I do, I believe in Joe. I've always believed in his ability to, you know, close games and come through when it matters. I know I'm probably in the minority there, but... Uh, and if not, if you really want to get crazy, it's still my favorite lineup that we haven't seen this year for obvious reasons. Katie Harden, Kyrie Harris, and Mills. So I'm subbing out Clax. I'm playing Katie at the five. Katie's going to be like that switch five. It's a pretty big load on him. You probably don't want to do it other than, you know, maybe five minutes of a really, really important game, maybe against a team that plays smaller. Like I could see, let's say the Nets are playing... Golden State, I could see that being a, a move that they do, um, and that's that's just a fun lineup. There's a ton of spacing you can use. Uh, Harris and Mills as screeners for Harden. You could e- you could use KD as a, as a screener for Harden, which is something I'll get into momentarily. But yeah, I, I think that's I think you nailed it. And then what I suggested is probably another good option. I have a couple of questions. Well, two questions that are very similar. Uh, which rookie do you see? Having the best chance of sticking in the rotation if the team is at full strength. This is from Ellis BK. What's up, Ellis? Uh, and then another question, very similar. Who gets the most minutes of Edwards, Duke, Sharp going forward? Any possibility of any of them seeing real minutes with the Nets at something close to healthy? If so, who of the vets is most likely to see their minutes reduced? Um, so I'll start here. I think the obvious ones are Cam and... Kessler Edwards as the guys that I see having the best chance of sticking in the rotation. I actually, weirdly enough, I could still, and I'm going to maintain this. I said this before the season. 
I could see Edwards having the best chance of maybe any rookie, not because he's like better than Cam or anything like that, but mostly because I think skill set wise he brings something that pretty much no one else on the team brings. And I'm gonna get into because uh, I have a couple questions about him, so I don't want to like spoil it. But yeah, I I just think like with what he brings, it's kind of unique for this roster, um, and because of that. I almost wonder if he has the best chance of anybody. Uh, and and if he's the guy, because I think he is. I think he's the guy that I'm watching, like, you know, if, if Kyrie comes back, even if he's part-time, um, he's the guy that I can say, I feel like that guy can really play. Um, he just seems, like, really NBA-ready in, in, you know, I don't know about the playoffs, but definitely towards the end of the year. So yeah, I guess I'll answer this part of the question as well. If so, who of the vets is most likely to see their minutes reduced? I think the obvious guys and, you know, somebody that I'm already kind of wondering, Paul Millsap, uh, Blake Griffin, who's been kind of in and out and is playing right now. Granted, the team is in a little bit of a diminished state. And even and even maybe James Johnson. And I only say that because I don't know if the Nets are going to need his ball handling as much if Kyrie is back. Like, the secret to James Johnson right now is that they are employing him as a guy that can handle the ball a little bit take the ball up, I guess in transition. So maybe that's something they'll still do because Kyrie can play off ball. You don't, it's not like the, you know, mid two thousands where you're automatically giving the ball to your point guard to run in transition. Like that's, that's something that he can do. He can push the pace and create plays from there, do those little dribble handoffs or the no look passes that he's really kind of added to his game and have really been a big part of the offense for the Nets. You know the like the passes that like go through his legs. Usually those go to like somebody like Patty Mills. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are the three I'm watching right now. Let's uh, we'll do. Oh, we got another from Russell and Fro. Oh, uh, that last question was from Russell and Fro. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, another one from Russell and Fro. Double dipping. We heard we've heard Nick Claxton could potentially be traded, given that he's the Nets' only real switch big and lob threat. What would the Nets need to get in return to make a deal make sense? Are there any buyout guys that factor into your thinking here? Uh, buyout guys, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'll, I'm avoiding that right now. <laughs> Let me get to like January, February, and I'll start thinking about that. I turn off my acquisition brain until we get to that point of the season. I do it every single year. I don't know. It just feels early. I. <laughs> Maybe that's me not doing my job well, but I, I just like don't think about that till <laughs> till we actually get there. Uh, let me let me answer the first parts of the question. Yeah, to to get in return for Clax, I mean the obvious thing is that they we're not sure if they want to pay him this summer, and I have another question about this later, so I'll save that a little bit. But I think the fact that he's their only switch big, you're gonna want to get somebody that's really really like really fits into what they do. So, you know, he only makes $1.7 million a year. So so what that means is basically if you're trading him one for one, which I don't think they do, but let's say you traded him one for one, you, you what you'd be looking at is trading him for another rookie scale guy, maybe like a 3 and D younger player, uh, or I guess a, a 3 and D big, but I don't, or not, not a 3 and D, but like a, a rim rolling big but I don't know why you would do that when you already have him. He's kind of living up to that a little bit this year. I mean, it's a small sample, but he's looked much better offensively. So I guess the only option would be like a 3 and D 
rookie scale guy and basically try to do what the Nets did with Landry, Landry Shamit, where they say, hey, Landry Shamit's going to be a free agent this upcoming offseason. We don't want to pay him. <clears throat> and because of that, we're going to cash in our chips and bring in a guy that makes the same amount of money, but we don't have to make a decision until two years out with Javon Carter. Because that's what that's what they did. They said, oh, Landry Shamit, we don't know what we want to do. Let's push the decision off. We'll bring in another guy that we kind of like. Uh, and that and that brought in Javon Carter. So I think that's what you'd be looking at. Otherwise, you'd have to pair him for somebody or pair him with somebody. And that somebody is probably Joe Harris, who I'm indifferent uh, on trading. And then you'd be looking at bringing in a 3 and D guy. So maybe it would be like, like a Harrison Barnes from Sacramento. Maybe that's a guy you're looking at. Um, I think that could be a solid option. But... You know, even then, it's like, do you really want to trade Clax and Harris for Harrison Barnes? I don't know. I, I think I'd want to see what Clax has got. You know, see what it looks like. See what he looks like in a contract year. See what he looks like in his second playoff setting. Um, and and really, like, just give yourself more options scheme-wise. There's another question about that that I'm going to save. But he's he offers a little bit of a different flavor to what the Nets do scheme-wise. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know if I'd trade him. That's probably where I'd end up. Um, are any of these awful spacing lineups uh, the Nets have been doing sustainable in a playoff setting? I am very skeptical. Closing lineups, I think, have to be Katie, Harden, Joe, Kyrie, Mills, Claxton, Johnson. J, uh, Johnson is the Giannis guy, I assume, but I would love to see Claxton more. I'm assuming that's the seven... Oh, I read that wrong. Yeah, okay, so it's Kyrie or Mills and Claxton or Johnson. Um, yeah, I, I I could see that for sure. Um, I would probably say the swing guy for the closing lineup is not going to be Kyrie because that, that doesn't, I think you want to keep him on the floor no matter what. It's probably Joe or Mills or Joe and Mills. And yeah, I think Claxton or Johnson is, that's a really salient point. I think the natural thing to be would be or to natural thing to say would be Nets are playing the Bucks. Probably want Blake out there because you know we know what that looks like. I'd be a little hesitant about that. Uh, you know, I get that the charges thing is a big factor, and that's a really good way to, you know, kind of fool, uh, you know, Giannis into playing a certain way. You know, the threat of Blake taking a charge and stepping in front of him kind of seemed to mess with Giannis's mind last year. It's it's a it's like one of the only ways you can really slow him down. But uh, Giannis was able to solve that. Um he's able to get this the ball in different points. The the Bucks ran pick and roll from different areas of the floor. Uh you know, kind of ran it from, you know, side pick and roll for example and made it so that Blake couldn't really step in front of him. You know, it, it was just a lot harder angle-wise to find that pocket to take a charge. So I like that you've brought up James Johnson. I think that's a really solid option in a closing lineup. I just think he's better than Blake. So that's a, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And then Claxton is a great option for, you know, somebody like the, the Hawks, for example, or the Warriors. I wish, God, I wish he had been healthy in that, or, you know, healthy and yeah, I guess, not sick, healthy um, in that game, just because, you know, that would have been a nice look to have an actual switch big out there instead of throwing Blake at Steph Curry or, uh, you know, LaMarcus on Steph Curry when they were running pick and roll. So 
yeah, um, I think I think that's a pretty good closing lineup. And then I kind of made my point before about Joe and Patty being interchangeable. That you could you could play them both together. Are any of these awful spacing lineups they've been doing sustainable in a playoff setting? Probably not, right? You know, I don't think you can play. I mean, you definitely even lineups where it's like it's James Johnson and DeAndre Bembry on one side of the floor. I just think you're suffocating your your offense. Now the Nets with Kyrie in the fold. They have two guys that can create their own shots at will with KD and Kyrie. Harden has not been that guy this year. We'll see if that changes. But I think with those two guys, you can get away with it. Is it the best way to run an offense? Eh, I don't know. Um, I I think, yeah, I I don't know if the sustainability with playing lineups with Bruce and, you know, James Johnson or uh, Bienbury and, and James Johnson or Bruce and Claxton... I don't know. I just, one of these guys is going to probably fall out of the rotation, if not two of them. Um, and, and part of that will come from A, bringing Kyrie back, and B, maybe doing something on the buyout market or doing something at the deadline. We'll see. I mean, I, I don't know what the buyout market's going to look like. I'm a little dubious of who's going to be available, but I feel like I say that every year, and then somebody comes comes available and I'm like oh that was a really good pickup <laughs> or that's a that's somebody that I think is worth looking at uh this was from Nets fan 8102000 got a lot of numbers in that username <laughs> that's a lot man <laughs> you got a whole phone number in there um let's see the oh I shouldn't have I should have probably put who asked these questions I'm sorry I, I don't have this in here so forgive me for this uh, what's the fully healthy rotation? This is actually from Paul tweets too much. My guy Paul from Twitter. Uh, what's the fully healthy rotation? So I have Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris, KD, and Lamarcus starting. I think that's I think that's pretty much to be expected. Maybe you change Claxton for Lamarcus, but I'm going to stick with that for now. I think they want a veteran in there. Lamarcus just seems to be well liked. The guys believe in him. Um, gives you that option of hey, we can run. Harden, LaMarcus, pick and pop. Uh, we can run sets with KD and LaMarcus involved. If you want to have KD handle the ball and LaMarcus pop, they just, they, I think he's a good fit for those guys. And they just seem to want him in there. Um, off the bench, I'm saying Patty. I'm going DeAndre Bembry. And then, man. <laughs> I'm probably going to say Claxton at the five. I think James Johnson is at the four. I kind of want one of the rookies to play. Or maybe both the rookies and James Johnson not play. So I kind of want to see Cam or Kessler Edwards play. That might be unrealistic. But then if if you don't do that, then you're kind of left with, what, Millsap, Bruce, Blake, Maybe I'm for, am I forgetting somebody? I don't think I am. And it's like, I don't, I, you, I don't think you can play Bembry and Bruce together. And I, you definitely can't play Millsap, James Johnson, and Claxton together. And I think we know what we know about Javon Carter. So because of that, I either want a little bit of shot creation or a little bit of shooting if Kessler can keep that going. I So I kind of think that's where I'd stand. And if I'm feeling really, really bold, (laughs) 
I, I really like Kessler. I think that's, I really like Kessler Edwards. I believe in him a lot. If he gets good enough to the point where you feel like he can be a regular rotation piece, yeah, I would, I mean, I would think about playing him over JJ. Maybe not. Maybe, I don't know if I can go that far, but I certainly think it's those those two guys, but, you know, Cam and Kessler Edwards that I think are worth getting a shot, either one of them, depending upon who you feel better about. So you're obviously, you're going to play a little bit bigger off the bench, which is interesting. Now, obviously, you're not throwing out like five-man bench units that you're mixing and matching. It's probably, you know, Harden working with Patty and Bembry and Claxton and JJ, which I don't love. <laughs> it's not a great spacing lineup. So maybe it's Kyrie playing with those guys. But, you know, I, I think those are the two that I'd be looking at. And I, you know, if Kessler can keep the shooting going, that might be the guy I'd be going with at the moment. Or, and actually, actually, I feel very confident saying that's the guy I'd go with at the moment just because I think he provides a little bit more. Is there anything from the offense in the last three games, three KD games you want to see with Harden returning? Again, this is from Paul. Pace. I think pace is the right answer here. The Nets are number three in pace in their last five games. Before that, they were 11th, which honestly kind of surprised me. I thought they were a lot slower than that. They just felt sluggish and slow in certain games. But yeah, the pace is fun. Um, you're getting into their sets early, guys leaking out in transition. They had that before, don't get me wrong. Um, the Harden outlet pass to somebody like DeAndre Bembry was definitely a play the Nets relied on a lot. Um, and it was definitely a big energizer, I think, for the Nets, just in, in certain moments in games. But yeah, I, I think that would be the one for me, just getting into their sets a little bit faster, pressuring teams in transition, uh, Kind of, you know, it, the thing about getting out faster in transition is that you're dictating which, you know, lineups or, or which, um, I guess, assignments that the opponent is taking. You know, if you can push early, all of a sudden, maybe you've got a small guard, you know, defending KD because you push the pace. So that's something I'd want to see. Rather, it, you know, the Nets are a team that likes to mismatch hunt. They did that a lot in the playoffs. But if you push the pace and you get out on the floor and you run, that solves itself. You don't have to mismatch hunt because you're going to get cross matches that way. So, yeah, I think that's that's number one for me is the pace. Which is fitting because we now have a James Harden question. This is from Daddy Step Back, which is what <laughs> I laugh at that every time on Twitter. Uh, do you think James Harden can get back to the level of player he was last year? Not necessarily this year. Uh, yes, I think he's probably got to get into lighter playing shape. It was funny, actually watching Isaiah Thomas, of all people. He's cut a little bit. I don't know if anybody's watched him or watched any of the Lakers games recently, but he looks a little quicker, and I think it's because he's got a little bit... He's just, like, slimmed out a lot, which is risky because he's a smaller player. You know, he's gonna he's not going to be able to take contact, you know, contact as much at the rim, and, you know, that's, that's going to make him a, a different rim finisher. But I think if Harden can slim out a little bit, there's a chance. We'll see what happens that, you know, I, I had um, Mark from Twitter on my podcast, on this podcast, I should say, a couple, what was that, two, three episodes ago. If you haven't listened to that, by the way, listen to it. And he did a fantastic breakdown of James Harden, basically talking about how he's wondering if the hamstring strain in his right leg has affected Harden's ability to push off that leg. And, and But he did it in a way that was really detailed. He talked about how Harden kind of pushes out from his hips 
And because of that, he really needs to get that burst off that right leg. I've been of the mind that the burst can look okay in certain spots, but the fourth through third through fifth steps kind of feel a little bit slower. And what I was thinking to that was maybe it's not that he's slower on those steps. Maybe it's just the juxtaposition between his first step and those third through fifth steps. Those those are the steps he usually decelerates from. That was what made him so deadly in his prime. He would have this elite first step and then he'd slow down like crazy on his third through fifth steps. Well, the problem is if his first step's a little bit slower and he's still decelerating, it just kind of feels like he's going slow the entire way. So I, I I think those two things are tied together. But I think a big thing for him, slimming out, seeing if that makes the difference, and and then moving from there, getting in game shape. Um, and that's something he can try to do this offseason. You know, you, you got to be smart with that. You got to be controlled with how you're losing weight. But I think there's a, you know, these guys are professional athletes. They'll know how to do it better than me. <laughs> So we got four questions about Kessler Edwards. The first is, what's your assessment of Kessler Edwards' potential long and short term? Second is, do you think Kessler Edwards will be used once everybody from health and safety protocols returns? Do you believe, this is another one, do you believe Kessler Edwards will be a stay in the rotation once we're all healthy? Last question is, should Kessler Edwards get minutes over vets? So yes, four questions about Kessler Edwards, uh, all from VJMen77, one from Paul Tweets Too Much. What's up, Paul? Uh, one from Dan Leahy. Uh, what's up? Thank you for asking the question. And uh, the last one is from Reddit. Uh, I smell breakfast. That's a good, I like that. That's a pretty good username. Um, so I'll answer these all at once. Uh, my assessment of Kessler Edwards short and long term saving this, right? I told you guys I was going to talk about this. He's got so many things that he brings to the table. And I think this is why I'm a little bit higher on him currently than Cam. Currently, let me say that again. Currently, for this Nets team and what he can bring for a team that wants to win a title. What I like about him is that he's multifaceted. And I think that's what makes him stand apart from David Duke Jr. He's somebody that can shoot threes. Granted, a lot of them are standstill because of his mechanics. He's not a guy that's going to be hitting threes off motion. I do think you can get away with him, you know, taking shots out of pick and pops. We've seen him do that a couple of times. But we're not going to see him come off a screen like, Joe Harris or Patty Mills set his feet, you know, or spin set his feet and shoot from there. Like he's just not at that level yet. He needs to be kind of straight on to the rim, uh, his shoulders set, just because of a. I think part of how he shoots, but b. Just because of that's what he's more comfortable with. But he can shoot. I've liked his extra passing. The rebounding is freaking awesome. I mean, he's just a, a terrific rebounder, just awesome, and like one of their better rebounders already. It's insane. He's a really, really good rebounder. I think maybe more than anything right now, that's what's going to get him into the rotation. And that's without mentioning his defense, which, I mean, this dude's just outstanding. He, they played him at the five a little bit against Orlando. That's something me and Jack Manuel uh, talked about on the Brooklyn Buzz podcast. Go ahead and check that out this week. But um, yeah, I mean, he can play the five. We've seen him guard like opposing point guards. He's legit one through four and a half. We'll say it that way. Maybe one through five, interchangeable. That's that's which is insane. I mean, he's he is legit as legit can be. He's put on strength. So short term, I think he should be a part of the rotation. I'd like to see him play. I think he should be part of that ten man. I he just is good. He's just good. 
He knows where to be. He's smart. Like, that's the thing about, I said with, with David Duke Jr. at the top of this, those moments where you're not quite sure he looks great, great, great for most of the game, but you're not quite sure what you're going to get from him in big moments. I don't have that with Kessler Edwards. I feel like he's already, I, I don't remember what game it was, but maybe it was against Toronto, maybe, where, uh, where he hit big shots at the end. I just, I feel good about him. I, I think he's already got a veteran presence in a sense or just a veterans level confidence. And I think he should be playing. And I just think he's better than certain guys on the roster. Um, you know, Paul Millsap, I, yeah, I'd rather see him over Paul Millsap. I'd probably rather see him over Blake Griffin. I know Blake's look better, but you know, the, the, if the three isn't falling, I'm sort of indifferent on him, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think he's worth, he's worth seeing what you got long-term. I mean, if he can improve on his ball handling a little bit, I know that they were working on that with him a little bit in the G League. So if if that can be something that he can improve on, and it doesn't have to be like, hey, we need you to run, pick, and roll. But like, if you're getting run off the three-point line, can we expect you to flow into a consistent long two? He's done that a little bit for the Nets. But can we expect you to, you know, get all the way into like a floater? I, th- I think we saw him do that a little bit in preseason. Is that a shot that we feel like you can do in the regular season? Can you score at the rim and use your size? <laughs> can you, uh, you know, can and it, it just finish their contact, I guess. I felt like ball don't stop right there. <laughs> so I started laughing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think those things are you're looking at long-term. But right now, like the baseline of Kessler Edwards is awesome. He's just a good player. So yeah, I hope to see it. Big thing for him though will just be, can the shooting maintain... Uh, if it can, then yeah, I want to see him play. Matt, can you list, uh, give a list of trade deadline targets for the Nets or even the buyout market? As I said, I'm putting this off. This is from, well, this is throwing me off. It's Durant, but the T is before the end. How do I say that? Duratin, 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 7735. (laughs) I don't know if you meant to do that with the username, but that's really throwing me off. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to filibuster on this. I'm, I'm saving this till the deadline. I have a podcast, man. <laughs> I can't go through all my trade deadline targets now. What am I going to be talking about when we actually get to the deadline? So no, I'm, I'm going to save this right now. Uh, in general, probably a three and D wing. I think that'd be nice. You know, again, I mentioned how much I like Kessler Edwards. Part of that is that he's like the only three and D wing besides KD that, and I think because of that, yeah, you probably want to fill that role a little bit. Um, and then maybe a big, uh, I'll get more into why I feel that way, but I think, I think bigs are definitely something I would always look at for this team. Do you think losing Mike D'Antoni had an impact on the offensive schemes that the Nets run? Could have, could he have cobbled something together to keep this offense running like last season, last season, even with all the turmoil this season? Yeah, I think so because the Nets were missing guys all of last year. Um, granted they're playing less quote-unquote non-shooters but like I do are we gonna call TLC a shooter I know he he was a guy that took shots but he didn't force rotations and he played quite a bit for the Nets throughout last year Uh, Bruce Brown was obviously a, a factor in that rotation so you know and then you had a bunch of bigs that couldn't really shoot so yeah I I think they do miss his impact in a way I know certain people will shoot that down within the organization I think they do, though. I just think the attention to detail is something I notice. Just, like, 
don't <laughs> don't have a weak side spacing of DeAndre Bembry and James Johnson on one side of the floor. Like, don't have that. And the Nets have had that a lot of times this year. And I'm watching film and I'm just sort of like, I don't, I just don't know why that's ever <laughs> at any point something that exists. I, you know, I get it. Like the Nets, and it's usually in lineups where it's like LaMarcus is out there and they have LaMarcus rolling or pick and popping to what, 20, 23, 19 feet out. Um, but still, it's like there's just, there's a certain attention to detail things that I think stand out for me. This is from Nasher15 on Twitter. That's a great question, by the way. So I think, yeah, I think just that it's not anything like sets wise, because I feel like we think, I mean, sets are obviously really important in the NBA, but there's, there's my well done statement of this entire podcast. And I think for the Nets, there's been a little bit less experimentation with sets. Last year, the Nets would try out things and see how it works and tinker with it. You know, they were a team that ran a bunch of um, uh, pistol at the beginning of the year, which is a set that Mike D'Antoni ran a lot with Steve Nash and Phoenix. And then they kind of started running more post splits. Post splits are what the Warriors run, where you have a guy clutching onto the ball in the post, and then on the opposite side of the floor, or even the top of the key, you have two guys come together and split apart. They they ran that set a lot. That's what Golden State likes to run with Draymond holding the ball and Steph and Clay breaking apart or coming together and breaking apart. So they ran a lot of different things, and and the even last year the post splits for the Nets turned into their scissor sets. Um, so again, like they experimented, there was kind of, you could almost see a trend line, like a storyline throughout the year of what the Nets were running and how they were tinkering with things. I just felt like we've gotten, or I feel like we've gotten a little bit less of that this year, but yeah, I mean, I guess the sets are big, but really the attention to detail is the biggest thing that stands out to me. All right. What are your biggest concerns and issues with this team moving forward? What do you think we can improve on or acquire at the trade deadline or buyout market? Uh, these are two different questions from two different people. I did not include who that first one is with. I'm sorry. This is from somebody on Reddit. I know that, so I'm my bad. Uh, what's everybody's current time frame to return? I don't know that. <laughs> uh, what's your opinion on the net size? They have some pretty. They have pretty good height, but not real size. Ooh, that's a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I included this because I think the 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 statement they have pretty good height but not real size answers part of my que- answers part of the question of the biggest concerns and issues I have going forward. So yeah, um, there's another question about Lamarcus Aldridge, so I'm gonna save this. But I think the Nets have brought in a lot of bigs that don't really address any of the problems at hand. Like, Blake and Millsap, and even James Johnson, they're all more of utility bigs, is what I'd call them. They're not really going to solve the, hey, we need somebody that can play really good drop defense, or we need somebody that can be really freaking tall and rebound. Like, they're all guys that I guess you can switch with. James Johnson is a legit switch big. Uh, Blake, eh, you know. Uh, he's okay. Uh, and then Millsap is just, it just hasn't worked this year with switching. So um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think my biggest concern is exactly that. They have brought in a bunch of centers. If you look at them um, on the outside looking in, but 
actually watching them, I'm not sure how many of these guys address any of the issues that the Nets had last year. Defense, rebounding, those sort of intangibles things. These are all guys that are more of connecting players. They're guys that are going to make the right pass. Um, they are, well, hypothetically, two of them <laughs> are good pick and pop options. Uh, they can all make role plays from the short roll. All great stuff that, again, doesn't really address what the Nets need. The other thing I think the Nets would probably need, and something I've touched on multiple times in this podcast, 3 and D, like, I think they need shooting, but you can bring in shooting that if it if they can't really defend, I'm not sure how much they're going to play <laughs> in a lot of ways, just because the Nets have a lot of really good players in the rotation. Like, it'd be, it'd need to be somebody that's a real legit two-way guy. Somebody that's going to come in there and provide a role that the Nets just don't have outside of KD. Again, I mentioned Kessler Edwards as a guy I think they can actually play because he offers that. If you can get a veteran version of that, outstanding. Unfortunately, that is the most sought-after skill set in the entire NBA. I think I have this like every single year at the trade deadline. I say, oh, the Nets could use a 3 and D guy. So we'll see if that actually happens. Um, but that I think that would be the, the thing they'd be looking for. But yeah, I think the size is a good point. Um, that's probably my biggest worry. You just don't have like big, tall dudes on this team. That's the most dumbed down way I can put it. And I think it's the best way. All right. Um, should the Nets postpone the Nets versus Lakers Christmas game? We know for, <laughs> we know damn well, that's not happening. Don't, don't think it's not a coincidence that the, that the it's or that it's not a coincidence that the NBA is not the, the NBA suspended all the Nets games this week. They want those dudes playing. AD is out for four weeks. KD, Kyrie, Harden are all one week away. Yeah, I mean, I would. Eh, I'll, we'll see if KD is able to play. Kyrie, I'm assuming is probably not, just because even so, he has to ramp up. Harden, we'll see. Uh you know, we'll see. I, he's the guy that I'm probably watching the most. And is that a good Christmas game? Lakers versus Harden and whoever, that's okay. I'm sure they'd market it like it was really good. I don't know if the Nets win that game, but the Lakers are a little bit of a mess. So I don't know. I don't think they'll postpone it. There's too much money tied into all of this. Uh, this is, ooh, we got three questions from all day underscore aid. What's up? This is from Twitter. Oh, that last question was from NBA bubble. And then actually the question, man, I didn't read anybody's questions. And then the questions on the size, that was from grains1568069. Another phone number. <laughs> Another phone number Twitter handle. <laughs> um, so my bad. I'll, I'll read these a little bit more. That's my fault. Um, all right. So the question for the pod from All Day Aid. Question for the pod. What's behind Cam Thomas's recent struggles? Even that he has more responsibilities, I figured he'd take a step up. Or am I just box score watching and he's actually been solid? Ooh, just a good question. Uh, let me say this. So he's a young player, very young player. Um, and I liked how the Nets were grooming him. They were saying, hey, we know you're a great scorer. We want to see if you can succeed off ball. We want to see if you can succeed next to other great players. We want you to change and transform your game to that I guess, version of basketball. And he's on a, he did a pretty solid job with that. I think for a young player to have your role dramatically change back to what you're doing before, that's a big thing to ask of a young dude. 
And part of me wonders that even though this is something he's been doing for years and that's where he's comfortable is with the ball in hand and, you know, the offense running through him, him getting more touches. I do wonder that, hey, maybe this is kind of like a big change going back to that. Just it's it's a little discombobulated, you know, being groomed a certain way and then being like, nope, just kidding. We need you to do what you've been you were doing pretty much for the rest of your basketball career. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's that's something to watch. And then just with him, he's a volume guy. Um, and you know, long-term the thing for him is going to be, if he's a volume guy, can you get a consistent output from him? Or is he just going to be a guy that goes hot and cold? We'll see. Um, so I think, I think those are probably my two answers to that. That's a tough question that I, I honestly don't know if I have enough like data on yet, (laughs) but I think that would be my first answer to what I feel best about. Does Blake get back in the rotation after everyone gets back? Uh, maybe as like a utility guy, I guess, as a guy that you're going to play in certain matchups. I don't think he's like a regular rotation player because I just don't frankly think he's good enough. Um, but maybe, maybe, yeah. My big problem with Blake is not even that I don't think he's like a good player because I think we've seen recently what the Nets are doing with him as a short roller and just allowing him to make plays with the ball in hand, it it really just, I guess, utilizes him better. But I think the trouble for me is that, I mean, you're not going to play him over LaMarcus. I think you need LaMarcus's spacing or spacing out to mid-range. Claxon should obviously be playing. And then it's like, are you playing Are you playing him over James Johnson? Maybe. Maybe that's, maybe that's what happens. I could see that happening. And I don't mind Blake and Claxton playing together. I think that's a solid pairing. But I think they've liked James Johnson. And James Johnson's just a better switch player. He just is. Um, and I think you can get a lot of what you're getting in the short role from him. He's maybe not quite the scorer at the rim or, or backing dudes down, especially that Blake is. But I think you get a lot of extra other things. So, yeah, I think it's he's probably interchangeable with James Johnson. Now that I'm really thinking this out loud talking this through that's probably what you're doing back and forth I was just rereading basketball and other things so which current or, or past nets player would you want to survive a zombie apocalypse with i mean the obvious right answer is james johnson <laughs> right <laughs> i don't think i even need to say anything else about that <laughs> yeah i'm taking the dude that's like a black belt that's that's the guy i'm taking that's a great question thank you for that Who's being cut if a good buyout candidate emerges? Do you think the Nets have interest in Daniel House? This is from Jim Staggs on Twitter. <sighs> probably <laughs> probably the two guys I was high on preseason. I got to take L's on this. I'm going to do it right now. This is me atoning for my L. Uh, probably Javon Carter, who I was really high on preseason. I thought, hey, maybe this is because I liked him as a defender. And then just seeing him do stuff as a shooter in preseason and, and last year, mind you, I watched a lot of film with him last year in, um, in Phoenix. I was just sort of thinking, hey, maybe this is going to work. It hasn't. The decision-making has been really bad, like just bad. I, I don't understand why, like the, the long twos, the early threes in transition when the Nets have an advantage. I just don't understand it, why the decision-making has been as bad as it's been. Um, so... Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably that's probably number one. I hate to say it too, Millsap, who I've been super high on, 
throughout the year. It's just been a strange season for him. You know, he's barely played, and then he got a little bit of time on the floor, and then he had a personal absence. He's had a couple of different personal absences. So I don't know. I'm a little indifferent on him, I guess. Not as because he's not a good player, but because it's just felt weird. Like, he hasn't wholly felt like a part of this team in a way, which is weird. But, like, if Paul Millsap wasn't around after the trade deadline, either he gets traded or he, he like, let's say he, like, I don't know, like, retired or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't think I'd be, like, shocked. I wouldn't be like, wow, I can't believe that happened with Millsap. I don't think anybody would. Um, and I, yeah, again, I just think part of that is he just hasn't played a ton. He hasn't been a huge part of this squad. So, yeah, um, you know, maybe maybe that's my guy I would look at. As for Daniel House, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm very out on Daniel House. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. This is from Chimmy Otriumph uh, uh, from Twitter. Do you feel like the COVID-19 outbreak on the team has made Nash's job easier or harder? Ooh, this is a good question. Uh, I feel like it'll be harder to get all the players who need to play their requisite minutes. And then you add Kyrie to the mix makes it even more random than the average team. So I hear you on this. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, it You don't really have a great... It kind of feels like last year where you don't have a great sample of, ooh, who, who, who fits together? You know, wh- oh, what does this lineup look together? They're kind of figuring out on the fly. And part of that was just that the Nets never had their stars together. This year, because there's so many guys that are interesting, I've mentioned Kessler Edwards, I've mentioned James Johnson, I've mentioned Blake Griffin, I've mentioned Nicholas Claxton, I've mentioned Paul Millsap. I've mentioned so many guys on this podcast, Cam Thomas, David Duke Jr. In a way, having this outbreak and getting a look at these guys And it's a shame some of their games were postponed because I think we would have gotten a longer sample, a longer look at what some of these guys look like. Um, I actually think it's made it a little bit easier. You're getting a real feel for, hey, what does this young player look like in a big moment? Or what is, you know, because we are missing certain guys, maybe we're missing our guards, uh, what big men can play together because we have really no other option. Uh, oh, wait, that's right. Blake Griffin and Nicholas Claxton look good together. We forgot that. The only reason we did that is because of this COVID outbreak. Um, I think those things are getting figured out by a process of elimination. Um, and I actually think that's going to make things easier for Nash. Now, piling it together at the very end, figuring out, hey, so what are we settling in on 10-man-wise? That, I agree, is going to be tricky. But at least you have a decent runway with pretty much every single guy on the roster and you have an idea of what everybody provides. Um, and they also asked, what moves on the margin do you think Sean Marks will prioritize? I only have this year because I never try to predict what Sean Marks does. <laughs> I don't know. That guy, he, dude, he's he's a he's an evil genius. He'll he'll just find he'll dig up Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin on the trade deadline, and that'll be <laughs> their big man rotation for the rest of the year, or the buyout market, I should say. And that'll be their big man rotation for the rest of the year. So I don't know. I just, I let Sean work and, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, <laughs> and that'll be that, I guess he'll, he'll find something. What experimentation do you want to see? This is from my guy, DQ Nets or Dylan on Twitter. Uh, what experimentation would you like to see? I know the eventual starting lineup is pretty much assumed. Do you think there's any merit to the idea of Bruce or Bembry Bruce, of starting Bruce? or Bembry, or LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, to have a bench unit anchored by Patty, Joe, and Clax. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, uh, I think there is. I totally think there is. I think there is an argument to be made that the reason you'd want to do 
Harden, or the reason you'd want to bring Joe to the bench is for Harden's sake. You're going to give him the best two shooters on the team to give him as much spacing as possible. And then you give him a rim runner in Clax. And I think that's the best way to optimize him. One thing I'd really want to see, if you are if you want to keep Joe in the starting lineup, let's say you wanted to do that, right? You say, no, we like Joe. We, we like the spacing that that unit has. Uh, we feel like that that group of four players of Kai, uh, James Harden, KD, and Joe Harris, like that was just unguardable. We could space these guys however we wanted. Uh, and it would just stress defenses. You couldn't really help a bit against them. So if you felt like that, I couldn't blame you. I would like to see bench-wise, I, I'm really high on the James Harden-Kyrie pairing. I just think having Kyrie out there is going to make things easier for James as he's figuring out whatever he's figuring out right now. Um, that pairing was obviously super deadly on the West Coast trip last year. They have great chemistry. Um, Kyrie will fill all the gaps. He'll cut. He'll flash to the middle and and make plays from there. He'll space the floor. You can run him off like a flare screen, and he can relocate and, and find pockets. He's just really good next to Harden. If you really want to get crazy, you could have him screen for Harden. The Nets haven't really done that, I don't think. But that's something I guess you could do. So I want those guys together, is what I'm trying to say. I think that's maybe their best two-man group. I like that even better than Harden and KD, or maybe even Kyrie and KD. I just, that pairing I love. So with all that said, um, I want those two, Bembry, Patty, and Clax. I like the weirdness of Bembry. I think he's, like him and, and Kyrie just sort of cutting and making plays and, you know, I guess just stressing a defense that way is fun. You also have situations where if the Nets run a Harden-Claxton pick-and-roll, Claxton breaks free for a dunk, the defense helps over. All of a sudden, on the weak side of the floor, you have one defender defending Patty and, I guess, Patty and Bembry, or Kyrie and Bembry. Bembry can then cut from there. He's really good at those situations where he says, oh, wait, one defender is guarding me and another shooter. Great, I'm going to cut to the rim because that guy is either going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to say, great, I'm going to pick DeAndre Bembry up, which means we're leaving, I guess, in this situation, one of Patty Mills or Kyrie open in the corner, or that defender stays home, and all of a sudden Bembry is flying towards the rim for you know one of his very athletic finishes or even a dunk so I like that and then obviously Patty is like their best probably their best movement shooter on the team I I don't even know I'm saying probably that's he's easily their best movement shooter um so yeah I think that's what I would like to see and then you could also as you said um you know run that bench unit of of Joe in there uh for Kyrie and just put spacing around Harden you could have Joe screen for Harden with Patty on the weak side of the floor. That's an option for you. You get a Patty screen with Joe on the weak side of the floor. It's just you you have a bunch of options with those guys. That's the the trio I've really been looking at, and just I mean they've been killing teams with that 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 three man lineup. I should have looked that data up. I can maybe I'll do that while I'm kind of answering these questions. Um, I'm gonna lose my voice doing this whole thing. I'm pretty sure. Which is awkward. I have work later, so I hope I don't lose my voice. <laughs> um, is the Nets' defensive rating sustainable if and when they get Joe Harris and Kyrie back? Ooh, 
it's a good question. That is from at underscore gray goo underscore. Um, look, Kyrie's a really good defender. Your starting lineup is going to have Kyrie and James Harden sharing the floor. And if you have LaMarcus out there, you're playing drop coverage, which means you have Kyrie and Harden navigating screens. A little indifferent on that. I think a better way to use Kyrie is a switch player because he can either just stay in front of his man or if you switch him on a pick and roll, you can then scram him out of there, which is where basically he's matched up with the big man and the big man tries to post him up after a pick and roll. One of Brooklyn's other larger defenders will come in and kick him out of the matchup. So I've done a couple breakdowns of that on my on my channel and on just I think Twitter. I'm sure if you like look up uh, at Matt Brooks NBA and then look up Scram. I'm sure a bunch of clips will come up on t- if you're on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's I think that's totally an option for you. That I think that's a better way to use Kyrie. I'm not huge on him navigating screens. I just think he he gets caught in them a lot. He'll make he either won't recognize them or he'll make a bad decision with going over or under. I just. I don't know. I was a little bit indifferent of, about him as a screen navigator um, in his first year as a net. Granted, he had a bigger load on his shoulders and they weren't playing for as much, but still, I, I think I like him a little bit more as a switch guy, uh, mostly because you can get him out of matchups that you don't love. So uh, I think it might switch slip a little bit just because you have that backcourt. The other thing I'm going to say, and me and Jack Manuel talked about this on the Brooklyn Buzz. Again, I'll go ahead and check that out. I really like that podcast. I think it turned out very well. Uh, the Nets right now are six in defense. So when you're talking about sustainability, that's what we're kind of referring to. Um, they currently lead the league in opponent three-point percentage. Opponents are shooting 30% against them, just 30%. That leads the league. That's a, that's a flugy stat. I'll start there. That's just a flugy stat. Um, last year, the Nets, uh, the, the Knicks led in that category at 30%. They were third in defense. This year, they are 23rd in defense. Why? Well, part of it's they brought in some not-so-great defenders like Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. But the other thing that's happening this year is that opponents are shooting 36% from three. That is eighth highest in the league. Eighth highest. Think about it again, last year. They were 30th last year in that category. The Nets are 30th this year, or first, I guess, in a way, depending upon which way you frame it. Uh, The Knicks went all the way up to 8th. So, the year before that, because this is a trend. The year before that, this is what, 2019, uh, 2018, what year is that? What year is that season? 2019-2020. Toronto was very last in the league, similar to the Nets, what the Nets are this year, in opponent three-point percentage. At 33.7%. They were the number two defense. The next year, oh, guess what happened? That three-point percentage of opponents jumped all the way up to 37.9%. That was seventh percent. Guess what happened to their defense? 15th overall. So what I'm saying is right now, the Nets, I think they're living off a pretty lucky sample. And I talked about this with Jack. Um, we, as basketball fans, we don't like to attribute luck to things. We Our brains just don't really know how to process that when a guy hits a really tough shot against a defender or if a defender actually defends really well and a guy hits a really tough shot in our heads we like to say well there's probably something that defender could have done a little bit better no that's just luck maybe that's bad luck for the defender like sometimes that's how basketball is um and this is one of these things where i think yeah the nets having opponents shoot 30 percent against them which again is 30th out of 30 teams or first if you're looking at it from the Nets' 
uh, view of things. They're the best in the league at, I guess, containing that. Um, that, I think, is luck. I think that's what we're looking at. And because we make this argument every year. We made it last year with the Knicks. Oh, you know, yeah, opponents are shooting 34%. But the Knicks have figured out how to make the right guys take threes. That was the argument last year. Guess what? We made that argument with Toronto the year before. And we're probably making, I've seen people make that argument with the Nets this year. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that sure, that number looks a little fluky. But, you know, the Nets are just so good at defending and closing out to guys that they're making sure like the opponent's worst shooters are taking the three-point shots. Are they probably doing that on certain possessions? Yeah, maybe. Is their attention to detail a little bit better on those possessions? Sure. I'm, that's, I could see that happening. But there are so many three-pointers in games now that, frankly, it's just too big of a sample for that to be a thing. So I, I do think that it is a little bit lucky. We'll see if that luck falls as we get closer to playoff time. Maybe this is just the Nets year. It seems like that just happens every single year, even back to 2017, 2018. The Boston Celtics and the San Antonio Spurs enjoyed this type of a thing. I think they were both within the bottom four in terms of opponent three-point percentage. So it happens every year. It's it's just a thing, and uh, I'm a little dubious of it. Ooh, this is right in my wheelhouse. I like this question. What do you think the Nets should? What do you think Nash should try more plays you've seen him run or plays you haven't seen him try? So I mentioned earlier, uh, I talked, touched on it briefly. I love those scissor sets the Nets ran last year where basically one of their bigs could be LaMarcus, could even be KD, holds the ball kind of at the free throw line, uh, the nail or the middle of the free throw line. And two Nets players are basically on top of him at, I guess, kind of near the logo. They come together and they break apart, similar to what I was talking about with the Warriors. But again, because it's directly on top of, I guess, the player holding the ball, at the at the nail, um, you're you're flowing into dribble handoffs. You're flowing into screening actions. I love that play a lot. Again, if you go on Twitter, use my at. Just look up Scissor. I, I did a breakdown on that. I think multiple times throughout last year. So Scissor is a set I'd really like to see. They've been running a lot of double drag. It's been pretty fun. Hard in handling typically. KD setting the screen and popping to three. It's a it's a screen with or it's a set with two screens where one of the guys rolls to the rim, the other one pops to three. It's a really cool set. The Nets have run it a lot lately, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, but they've been running with Harden handling, KD setting the screen, popping to three, Claxton, their best roller on the team, uh, rolling to the rim. I want to see more of that. Let's let's get crazy. Um, let's see Kyrie is one of the screeners. That could be fun, because I know they've subbed in Patty for KD in certain spots. That'd be really fun. Uh, they've gotten really funky with it. I think they ran... That set with KD KD handling, Patty screening, uh, Claxton rolling. Let's see that. That'd be fun. So I I think that's something I want to see more of. Uh, Another one I like, Spain pick and roll. The Nets have ran it, I think, once this year to my count. Spain pick and roll is basically pick and roll, except instead you have a guy setting a back screen. A back screen is the one that faces the opposite baseline, so he's facing half court. So he sets a back screen on the roller's man, and then he pops to three. So it's pick and roll. All of a sudden, oh, here's a back screen. That just disturbed the roller's defender. The roller can either get free and rise up for an alley-oop, or the defense panics, and that guy who sets the back screen pops up to three for, um, you know, ideally an open look. 
Or you could even just the defense panics and the guy handling can just go straight to the rim. I want to see that. And how I want to see that is I think it'd be really fun, really fun to see that set with Harden or maybe Kyrie handling, um, Klax being the roller, the screener, and then the back screener. Let's get crazy. Could we see Kevin Durant as the back screener? Now, maybe he doesn't want to do that because screening a big man is, you know, maybe it's, that's a pretty imposing ask, right? <laughs> uh, slamming into a, a seven-foot center. Maybe that's something he doesn't want to do. So maybe, maybe, maybe we should have Joe Harris do that. He's got a little bit more bulk to him. He's, he's okay with getting a little dirty, uh, you know, putting his body on the line. Maybe that's something we'd want to say. Or even like somebody like Patty Mills, who's a pretty willing screener, uh, willing to take charges on the other end. I think that's somebody that would want to do a little bit more physicality and do whatever his team needs. That'll be fun. I also touched on this earlier. Just the stars screening for each other more. I like when KD screens for Harden. Uh, same goes for uh, KD screening for Kyrie. I think the Nets went to that a little bit in the playoffs last year from what I remember. But you could even get crazy. You could say, oh, guess what? KD's screening. We're going to get really crazy. We're going to have Kyrie screen for KD. We're going to run an inverted set. And all of a sudden, you're going to put the smaller defender guarding Kyrie in a position where, shoot, I either need to navigate a screen or, or I guess, go under a screen and guard a popping player, or or I have to switch on to KD. And now I'm in a world of trouble where KD has a, a basically head full of steam potentially backing me down, and I'm Kyrie's defender. I've just got to survive with that. So I think that'd be fun. Veer sets would be cool too. This is my last one. I think Mark, uh, who again appeared on my podcast a couple episodes, brought this up. Uh, Veer sets, basically pick and roll, except instead of the big man popping to three or rolling to the rim, he goes and makes himself useful and sets a screen for another off-ball player. I like this a lot for somebody like Blake Griffin or maybe somebody like James Johnson or Paul Millsap. All guys that are willing screeners, good screeners, um, instead of putting those guys in positions where, hey, you're popping to three, eh, don't love that. You guys, None of you guys are shooting the three ball well or rolling to the rim. Two of those guys, you know, a little meh on. Blake's been a better, I think, as a roller. But instead of doing that, we're going to have you go set a flare screen, which is a screen that frees up. It's an off-ball screen that frees up uh, a three-pointer. So we're going to have you set a flare screen after setting a ball screen for somebody like Patty Mills or Kyrie. I think that'd be fun. So Veer sets, definitely fun. How do we maximize this version of James Harden? Open-ended question, but curious if you had any thoughts. This is from Net Smoothies. Great question. How am I doing on questions? Man, I got a lot to go. All right, uh, maximizing this version. Spacing, This, this is, I think this is the easy answer. As much spacing as possible in a roller. Put him in the best ecosystem possible and see where it goes. It's that simple. Biggest thing you're watching once Kyrie is on the floor with Kyrie and Harden, are they still title favorites if Kai can't play home games? Uh, this is at Manny of the year. Biggest thing I'm watching, just kind of what he does for the energy. Uh, does he increase the pace? What are they? Are they are they running everything through Harden? So I'm assuming they would because he's still like, even though he's declined physically a little bit, uh, he's still like a great decision maker. So I, I guess the biggest thing I'm watching is like, what does it look like for Harden? What is it? Does he seem more comfortable? Does he seem more emboldened by having another star player on the floor with him 
Does the spacing help? And just generally, like, what's the vibe? What's the mood? Do these guys seem happy to play with him? Um, are they playing with more energy? Is he kind of what they've been missing? Not just as a player, obviously he's very good, but just even, like, emotionally speaking. Are they still the title favorites if you can't play home games? That's tricky, man. I think it's so discombobulating. We have a really good question about this coming up. I, I I don't know if I can say that just because it's really discombobulating to have two different teams, especially like if you have home court advantage, you're only having him for three games. That's bizarre to me. So if you can't play home games, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can get there. They're a contender for sure. But home uh, favorite, I don't know. I just don't know if I can get there. Should the Nets trade Kyrie? These are two Kyrie questions. These are from shoddy underscore AD 7511. Uh, these are both from Reddit. Should the Nets trade Kyrie if they can get 70 cents on the dollar for him? If nothing changes, he will miss half the remaining games and can become a free agent in July. No. <laughs> no, you should not trade him. Um, what are you getting back? Like, who's going to want a guy that you're not even sure if he's going to suit up and play for you? I don't know. I just, I'd rather take the chance and just see, hey, maybe he's going to get vaccinated or hey, maybe, maybe the mandate's going to change by April, March, whatever. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't do that. Should Kyrie come off the bench to keep the stability of the starting lineup? No. <laughs> I, I mean, you could play him with your bench unit, but I don't think he should come off the bench. We get very fixated on, oh, who's starting, who's coming off the bench, Look, man, like you're playing your starters for the first five, six minutes, and then you're making substitutions in there and mixing and matching. So, like, yeah, put him. He's a starter. He's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like he's a starter. It's Kyrie. All right, uh, with Kyrie not playing home games, does the Nets roster have enough shooting? Katie, Harden, Mills, Aldridge are the only spacers that I'm confident will hit a jumper. Um, I'm going to save this last part of this question because I want to answer this question um probably yeah i think so i think you have enough shooting with with Kyrie. oh i you didn't list, list Kyrie. well i think we have the answer to that question of Kyrie's not playing at home um we i think we have the answer to that right like i get that they led the league in three-point percentage and that number was thrown around a lot which is fine like if you watch the games you know they had spacing issues like, there were just moments where, and, and I think part of it was, like, and I, I I tried to make this point, like, they're they're going off their, like, judging their spacing by three-point percentage is just not the best way to do that. Because the thing about their spacing was they would run lineups, again, I've mentioned this, DeAndre Bembry and James Johnson straight on the floor, where the ball swings their way, and they're, they know who they are. They know they're not shooters, so they're not really taking the shots. They're instead swinging one more time. And then from there, the possession stalls out because you have two guys open on the weak side of the floor. You're not getting any from them there instead of instead because they can't really shoot. They're passing out of that advantage. And then you end up with like Katie isolating or something like that or Harden taking a step back or, or, or trying to drive to the rim and draw contact. So yeah, I, I think we have the answer to that question already. It's definitely an issue. Like if Kyrie's not there, it's it can be a little bit of an issue. Uh so I think that's my answer to that question. With Kyrie, I'm not as worried. Uh, with him not there, the answer has kind of been in front of our faces for the last, what, two months? Three months. Two months. <laughs> However many months we're in. <laughs> um, 
Do you believe the Nets will defense will be as effective in the playoffs? Seems like we've been a little bit lucky with teams missing their open looks from three and drop coverage with Aldridge has been exposed against good teams. Will the Nets need to play Claxon more and switch everything in the playoffs? Ah, this is what I wanted to say. Yes. Uh, okay, so look, Lamarck has been great. We've seen it in big games. As you pointed out, the drop coverage has been exposed. So a game against like Phoenix or Utah, that's another team with pull-up shooting that I just, oh boy, that, that would be tricky with Donovan Mitchell, who's just hitting everything on pull-ups now. Uh, or, or what did I say? Golden State, Utah, Phoenix. That's another one. Uh, here's a good one. Atlanta. We saw that at the first half of that game, uh, what that was a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I, I think uh, Aldridge, I'm a little worried about Aldridge in the playoffs. I'm, I'm going to say this nicely. He might be their regular season innings eater. He just might be. He just might be. It's not a bad thing. Been a very good player this year. He's been, you know, I think you can play him in spot minutes. But yeah, I mean, the defense I'm a little worried about. Uh, and even in matches where you like think, you know, logistically, you're like, oh, maybe you could play him against Milwaukee. A, I don't think you can do that because, you know, Chris Middleton's going to kill you with pull-ups and Drew, Drew Holiday ideally will as well if you're Milwaukee. But even like, do we feel great about him backtracking and drop? against Giannis Antetokounmpo? I sure don't. He's just looked like woefully unathletic in certain games uh, against these teams like Milwaukee that's, you know, freakishly athletic. So um, I don't know. I, I I think even the drop coverage against teams that you think, oh, maybe they don't have the shooting or whatever, the pull-up shooting to, to hurt the Nets. Even then, I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm a little worried about it. I'll see this about the Nets defense last year. Even their defense last year, they were number four defensively. <laughs> they were good. They turned up the heat for sure. They were they definitely turned it up a couple of notches and played harder and just tried more. I don't think they were number four in defense. I'll put it that way. I just don't. Um, and I think a big part of that was like Milwaukee just couldn't get out of their own way. And I don't know if you're going to run into that this year. Teams are going to test them a little bit more. They're going to run more actions. They're going to force the Nets to switch off ball more if you're like playing against the Warriors. Uh, slip screens. Milwaukee's going to play just a smarter game. They'll run more empty side plays where they have just uh, Chris Middleton and Giannis attacking the side of the floor uh, with no other help defenders. So um, I I think, yeah, even last year's defensive rating in the playoffs, I get everybody was, you know, holding it up as this big accomplishment for the Nets, which it was, by the way, uh, but I don't know. Even that, I'm like a little bit dubious. So yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be quite as effective. I might I might die on that hill, but that's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, what do you think are some of the challenges Nash and the coaching staff will face with having Kyrie in and out of the lineups? Do you think having radically different game plans when Kyrie is available and isn't? This is all from Paris Java on uh, Reddit. These are some great questions. And I like the way you think, man. Yeah, uh, the spacing is dramatically different, as I just touched on. Um, and you don't have the Harden and Kyrie lineups that I mentioned earlier, you don't have those to lean on, which I think is maybe their best two-man grouping. Um, I also think, like, not having Kyrie there, you lose your pace. You're going to lose a little bit of your cutting, too. Kyrie is the only guy that cuts on this team, and he's been a, he was a really good cutter last year. Uh, he's the only guy that cuts on this team that's, like, actually a threat outside of 10 feet. Like, everybody else that cuts, James Johnson, DeAndre Bembry, they're going to cut, and you kind of know what's going to happen. They're going to go try to go straight into the rim and finish through contact. 
Because again, they're not, they don't have floaters. They don't have mid-range shots. Kyrie can finish from anywhere. Great cutter. And he's like, so I think you lose all those elements. And that's a big change, right? Without having those cuts and those leak out it's in transition or coming off screens like Kyrie can, coming off a flare screen like I mentioned earlier, you lose a little bit of your randomness as an offense. And with that, I think that's a big adjustment. You also just lose another star. You lose more spacing. I think that's a big adjustment. I think that's why I'm a little bit tepid about saying, oh, this is the automatic title favorite, you know, even if Kyrie is there like half the time. I don't know. I just think that's a big adjustment. The Nets this year, to their credit, they've learned how to play without him. But when you're switching in and out and you're not sure what you're getting night to night in terms of like game plan wise, or you get what you're, I guess you understand what you're getting, but you're changing what you're doing. That just seems really discombobulating. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a that's a pretty good salient point, and uh, yeah, I think that'll be a big a big adjustment for them. Uh, these are all from underscore door. Uh, douche, am I saying this right? Douche, babouche, ganoush, douche, babu, baba ganoush, douche, baba ganoush. All right, there we go. <laughs> Uh, what can the Nets do to improve their spacing issues? Obviously, guys are out, but even James Harden said there are spacing issues uh, fixed. Teams are constantly doubling KD. What can you What can you do to uh, What do you attribute these spacing issues to the most? Uh, I think I answered this kind of just make moves with the deadline. See what you got in Kessler Edwards. Uh, get Kyrie back. Uh, that's your main options right now. You're pretty limited to what you're... And I also, like, the Nets kind of shoehorned in themselves into playing this way. They brought in all these defensive guys. That's cool. That's great. Uh, I think they overcorrected a little bit last, this offseason. I maintained that stance for a problem that wasn't really fully there. Um, you know, I think that Milwaukee series, they came out of that thinking, oh, well, you know what we need to do? We need to bring in more defensive guys. We need guys that are going to grit up a little bit. And I think they overcorrected a little bit. And now, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some spacing issues and we'll see if those get fixed by all the options that I mentioned. I don't even know what they can get at the deadline with the options that they have. I already said Clax is pretty limited because of the salary he makes. Uh, Joe Harris, we'll see if they, I mean, what what are you going to trade Joe Harris for at the deadline? It's a better spacer. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they're, they're stuck, I think in a way, unless you get somebody on the buyout market. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think they are what they are right now. Can you assess the performance of the signees you made uh, You made videos about earlier this year? Who is playing as expected? Who is underperforming? Who could be utilized better? Who is standing out? Yo, I appreciate this. Douche, baboosh, baba ganoush. Thank you for watching those videos. That's dope. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, that's super cool that uh, you sat down and watched all those scouting videos. You haven't watched those. I put those on my YouTube channel over the summer. I broke down... Patty Mills, Paul Millsap, James Johnson. So uh, we'll start with Patty. I I mean, I don't <laughs> have to pat myself on the back, but I kind of nailed, <laughs> kind of nailed that video. The the motion shooting has been as expected. Not a great self creator. Nailed that as well. I think uh, touched on the rim finishing. He's not really somebody that can like if he gets a mismatch with somebody, he's not really going to create in those situations. That's been pretty much true. We've seen what it looks like when he handles the ball. I said in that video, don't expect him to be Spencer Dinwiddie. 
We've seen what that looks like against uh, Philly, I think, was where he had all those turnovers when they were doubling him. So, yeah, uh, I think that video aged pretty well. And he's been about what I said he would be as a defender. He's not necessarily a minus. Certain teams are going to target him. We saw that against Dallas when Luka was doing that quite a bit. But, you know, I, I think that aged pretty well. He's also not like a risk taker as a defender, which is another thing that I said in that video. So I'm probably the most proud of that one. That one aged really, really well. Uh, the only thing I think I missed a little bit was just his extra passing. Um, he's been better than I think I gave him credit for. A little bit low on him as a passer, I think, in that video. He's just been been really solid. Just made the right plays. You know, if if, if he sees an advantage, he's going to find that guy. So I, I probably undersold him there. Uh, let's talk about my biggest L. Paul Millsap. Makes my heart hurt. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so look. Millsap shooting... Thought we would. I actually thought he would be a better shooter. I didn't think he'd be this as good of a shooter as Jeff Green. So got that. Yay. Uh, but did not get the. Uh, I said he'd be able to post guys up. That hasn't translated. His rim finishing has just been all over the place. Oh my god! It feels like he's just completely lost his pop as as a guy at the rim. So that's that's hurt. Passing's been good. Screening's been good. Those are things that I noted. Shooting has just, like, fallen off a cliff. The pick and pop with him has gained nothing. He's not been good from the corners. And then the defense. Like, oh, man. I mean, if there is an L that I've taken this year, it's hoping that he'd be a good defensive player for the Nets. (laughs) Big thing I said is I felt okay about him as a switch big. Not because I felt like he could move his feet, but his hands are so quick. I was hoping he could survive that way. He could pick steals. He could stay in front of guys enough and let his hands do the rest. And oh boy, it just hasn't worked. He has not looked good as a switch defender. I don't know if playing in that scheme in Denver where he's hedging and then recovering and sprinting back to his man has just kind of taxed his legs. But he's just been a blow-by guy this year. Like, worse than Blake. Um... You know, I think the only guy that's been more of a blow-by guy than him this year is Harden. It just it just hasn't aged well. Um, and, yeah, the, I, the biggest problem with him right now, I think I talked about this on with Lucas Kaplan on this podcast. I mentioned this podcast a couple of times. If you're listening to this for the first time, subscribe. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. Um, this is a new-ish project for me, so I definitely uh, would appreciate that. But um, for me, definitely, the uh, they just, like, haven't had a scheme for him. You can't play him in drop. He's not a, enough of a vertical athlete to A, contest shots at the rim if guys drive, or B, break up lobs. Like, we know for a fact Paul Millsap is not breaking up a lob. And then they're not going to hedge and recover with him. They just don't really do that. They'll do that with, like, their smaller guards. They did that last year. Hedging and recovering, by the way, is when the player who's guarding the screener jumps at the ball handler and runs back to his original man. They're not doing that with him. I, they just don't do that with their bigs, really. Denver did that with him. That's not going to happen. So um, with that said, I, you're kind of left with him switching, and that's just been tough. So that hasn't worked. James Johnson, let's let's change the subject because, man, I took that L. Uh, James Johnson, I, I think I did pretty well in that video. Um, mentioned the ball handling. That was the big thing I, I noted in that video is he's a really good ball handler. 
when I made that video, I figured Kyrie was playing that year or this year. So I assumed we wouldn't really see much ball handling, right? Because you have Kyrie, you have Harden. There you go. There's your ball handling. Uh, instead, the Nets have been in this weird situation where they don't have Kyrie and they've needed guys to handle the ball. And he's done that. He's actually done a really good job. He's been like their off the bench kind of ball handler, which has been fun. So that's aged really well. The passing has aged really well. He's been just as good as I figured he'd be at those like lay down passes or those drop off passes to big men, uh, especially somebody like Nicholas Claxton. That's aged well. The switchability has been better actually than I think I give him credit for in that video. The post defense, he's been as tough as nails as I expected. Uh, the shooting has not been good as I expected. I guess the main thing is the rim finishing. I, I You know what? Even that, actually, thinking back, I said I, he would probably have a career high year as a rim finisher. I think I said that in that video, um, and I was mentioning... Let me see if I'm correct about that. All right, I was wrong about that. <laughs> you know what? He's he's not having a career high year from as a rim finisher. He's having a career high year. Yeah, okay. So I was wrong about that. <laughs> I tried. I'm looking this up on cleaning the glass right now. Sorry, I should have had that prepared. But uh, yeah, I that's I guess the only miss for me right now is the rim finishing has been a little all over the place. But otherwise, I think I nailed pretty much everything else. So um, yeah, Paul Millsap miss, swing and a miss, bad swing and a miss. Said a lot of things about how he could be, oh, he could be the best free agent signing for the Nets this offseason. Yeah, that did not, that did not age well. Uh, So I'm taking the L there. I love being wrong. It's like, life's too short to be right about everything. So yeah, wow, was I wrong about that. Uh, Patty and James Johnson, I think I did okay with. I probably undersold James Johnson even a little bit. Um, What adjustments have you seen offense-wise with guys like Joe Harris being out? Obviously, the focal point in the offense is KD. Do you think the Nets are running iso ball too much? Uh, I think the big thing for me is like getting creative with the screeners. They're like actually using KD as a screener, either for Harden or in that double drag set I mentioned a little bit earlier alongside Nicholas Claxton. Uh, They're continuing to run stuff for Patty. Uh, But if like if all in all, if they can't get anything out of a screen for James Harden, either with KD or Claxton or James Johnson, I guess, or whoever... It usually just turns into, hey, let's dump the ball to KD and uh, see if he can rescue us. So yeah, too much iso ball right now. I think you're right. But they've been creative. They've been tapping into things that I've wanted them to do for two seasons, especially with KD screening. So I guess there's some positives from it. What do you attribute? These are, again, all from Douche Baboosh, Baba Ganoush. Uh, this is the last one from him. Or her. Sorry, I shouldn't assume. Um, what do you attribute James Harden's recent performance to? Obviously... He is still an incredible player, but perhaps not quite the performance we are used to seeing from him. I think pretty much everything I said. Spacing's been off. That's hurt him. He's noted that. Physically, I think we're seeing a little bit of a decline. You know, even in lineups where he's got two shooters around him, it just feels like you feel the non-shooters more than you used to. So I think it's a combination of things, and we'll see if that changes. All right, we got a couple more questions here. Do you think the Nets will keep Clax or will they trade him because they don't want to pay the tax? If we trade him, who are some likely targets and who could his replacement or could be his replacement if LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake decide to retire or go to another team? If they decide to extend him, what do you think his contract would look like? Uh, and then he also, this is from, uh, or this is from Dim underscore Dim one on 
Reddit, uh, this comment continues, or question continues. I personally think we should keep Clax. He's definitely still raw, and his injury history is a concern. But when he's healthy, he's an incredible switch big that completely changes our defense. It's a very hard skill to find in a big man. I agree. He's probably, like, one of the three best switch bigs in the entire league. Um, continuing on with this. He, his potential is very high. Maybe his injury history plus the chance to stay on a contending team would mean he'd be willing to take a team-friendly deal. Going to shoot down the team-friendly deal idea. Uh, they were in talks with him this offseason to come to some sort of extension agreement. That didn't happen. So I'm going to say probably not. Uh, I think he wants to get paid. Clax, what you got to realize, Clax got an ego. Like he wants to... He wants to get paid. He wants the he wants the spotlight to a degree. <clears throat> he's he's willing to do what it takes for this team, but yeah, man, like he's you know, it's Claxman. I mean, he's a high profile guy. Uh, do I think the Nets will keep Clax? Yes, because it's really hard to trade him. Um, I mentioned earlier, like you're not really going to get a one for one trade, but if they do trade him, it would probably be because they don't want to pay him. I think his contract would be in the realm of. Like what, twelve a year? Could you get him for like three thirty six, four forty eight? Could you do that? I could see that. I think I could, I could see that. It's really gonna depend on like how well he plays down the stretch. Like if he just kills it and looks great in the playoffs, they might just not be able to afford him. Period. Um, so it really comes down to like how good he looks down the stretch. It's such an interesting thing because the Nets obviously want him to be as good as possible to win a title, but there's also that pitfall of like, if he looks really good, <laughs> I don't know if you can afford him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It actually might hurt them in the long run, but I obviously want to be as good as possible. You go all in this year. That's why they're bringing Kyrie back. So um, yeah, man, I, I think uh, I would assume he stays right now, but I also wouldn't be shocked. There's been so much noise about him being traded. It's just, it's like... The logistics of that trade are tricky. Um, and I agree with you. I, I, I personally would keep him. I think he, like, as I mentioned before, with I'm not sure if LaMarcus is, like, a guy that you can play in the playoffs as much. Um, and that leaves you with, like, Blake, which, again, a little indifferent on him in the playoffs. Millsap very, made it very clear I'm indifferent on him. And even James Johnson, I guess you could play at center. But all of a sudden, like, Claxton's, like, your guy that I think you can keep out there because he's such a unique player with his switchability, as, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, I totally think that is, maybe if you can survive with him offensively and he can continue to make plays, you know, if he's given the ball in the short roll, attack the rim and not be afraid or spray out to shooters, um, or, or finish with a little post hook, you can get that stuff from him, man, that's found money right there. That's stuff that I frankly wasn't sure if we were going to get this year. So if he can play with more control, more composure, slow it down a little bit. I do feel pretty good about him playing, and I think, you know, we'll know over the next couple of weeks um, by the trade deadline. If he keeps this up offensively, I just don't know if you can do it. It's, it's just, I think you need to keep that guy around. He just offers too much. He's not somebody that's going to get played off the floor unless you're playing, like, a really bulky team. But, uh, you know, there's a question about Giannis early. Like, I don't, he's not going to guard Giannis, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, uh, he's, he's, you're going to need that guy for all these teams with elite pick-and-roll creators. So many teams have that guy. Trey Young, Steph, I guess, uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, Luka Doncic. 
all these scenes have this this guy that's creating and making plays after a screen pull up shooting. You need clacks for that. You can just switch those actions. There you go. It takes care of it. And now all of a sudden you got clacks in isolation defending where he's great. I mean, he's like one of the best defenders in the league. So yeah, uh, I love that. Love that. Love to see him play. Uh, and yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if they should trade him, but we'll see. I mean, it really depends to like what's out there for them and how averse they are, I guess, to paying him or the idea of paying him. Can Kyrie simply live in New Jersey or something so he doesn't count as a resident of NYC and can therefore play at home games as a visiting player? Uh, only if you're looking to dive deep into the Kyrie situation again. <laughs> Appreciate that. This is from In the Nets on Reddit. I see you've been listening to me because you know I'm trying to stay away from this Kyrie situation. It's funny. I don't. <laughs> whoever's listening, if you're on Twitter or Reddit and you're like, if you think I want to talk about this Kyrie situation, you're dead wrong. I have avoided this thing like the plague. Probably not the best word to use there. <laughs> I've been avoiding this situation like um, like an ugly mole. I, I'm trying to think. I just want to say the word plague. <laughs> it's like the worst way to phrase that. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. Um, no, I don't think you can do that because he works in NYC, right? So, uh, so yeah, the... I think that shoots that down. I just wanted to... <laughs> I'm going to move on. God, that was a good Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, who's the most exciting prospect between Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards, David Duke, Dayron Sharp? This is from uh, Reddit user SSJ3Pretzel. Um, probably Cam still, right? Shot creation reigns king in the league. This is my second ball don't stop moment on this podcast. But the shot creation, the star talent that he has there, uh, seal, like basement wise or what, you know, I guess guy I feel the best about to pan out, probably Kessler Edwards. Just feel like he already offers so many things at an NBA level that if you can improve on the little things, what I mentioned earlier, mid-range shots, floaters, uh, that's going to change who he is and my trajectory with him. But yeah, uh, Cam is just guy. I mean, he's got it to like use the most bland cliche. He's got that star sparkle to him. So um, yeah, that's probably your most exciting prospect. He's also like the most fun to watch. I'm being honest, he's he's so fun to watch, man. He takes shots where his feet are perpendicular to the basket. It's absolutely insane. Um, I I I just he I think he's probably their best prospect long term. But yeah, Kessler Edwards, love the floor. Are the Nets a championship contender without Kyrie Irving? If not, what moves or trades need to be made? It I feel like I've... Oh, wait, I, I have an answer to this. Uh, if not, what moves, trades do they need to make before the deadline or coaching changes? Uh, this is from Reddit user Canadian12371. All right, the only reason, because I've kind of answered this already, I think they're a contender. I think I said that a little bit earlier. They're a contender. I don't know if they're the favorite. They're absolutely a contender. Uh... Yeah, uh, you know, they'll be in the mix. I think they're one of the five teams that can win without Kyrie Irving or even with Kyrie Irving playing part-time with Utah, Phoenix, Warriors, uh, and then the Bucks. They're in the mix for sure. You have KD, you're automatically going to be a contender. The only reason I, because I've touched on the moves, 3 and D, maybe another big, just shooting in general would be solid. Um, the only reason I, I really am reading this in its own, I guess, section, because he said a coaching change. How could you do this? Canadian, one, two, three, seven, one. How could you do this to another fellow Canadian? 
in Steve Nash. How could you suggest that his job is on the line? Where is your Canadian pride? <laughs> Offering, throwing out the idea of firing a proud Canadian like Steve Nash. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That is the reason I'm reading this. This is shameful. <laughs> I'm just messing around. But yeah, no, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> just the the username combined, combined with that slyly thrown in there of firing Steve Nash. Steve Nash not going to get fired in the middle of the season. Can you imagine if they fired their coach in the middle of the season while they're trying to integrate Kyrie Irving as a part-time player? I mean, good Lord, that would be... That would be a story, huh? That's a good way to put it. What a story that would be. <laughs> uh, moving on to my guy, Corey Cantor. Uh, what's up, Corey? I hope you haven't taped yet. I haven't. Uh, I have a few. One, what is your new 10-man rotation given Kyrie and the rookies? Uh, I answered that about the third question in, so I guess you probably heard that part already. If not, uh, go listen to the end of this podcast. I think it's gone pretty well, so go ahead and check the whole thing out. Uh, when do you think Joe and Kyrie will be back? Oof, no clue. January, maybe mid-January for for both, right? I think that's probably about right. Uh, what piece do you want to see the Nets upgrade at the deadline? Touch on that. And this is the this is the big reason I'm reading this. Are you ready to give up being a jinx? For those of you that don't know, that aren't on Twitter, if you're listening to this as a Reddit user, I had this unbelievable gift of having a jinx on Twitter. Every single time I would tweet about something, maybe I'd say, oh, Feels like the Nets are going to close this game out. The other team would go on like a 20-2 to two run. Or I'd be like, hey, you know, James Harden's starting off really hot in this game. He's looking great from deep. He'd go like 0 for 8 to close out the game. It was un- like everything I jinxed possible or any everything I tweeted about possible would turn into a jinx last year. It was like, it was this great, it was fun last year. I, I loved it. It was like one of those fun things, I guess, that was a, I'm not going to call it a storyline because that's like, that's gassing me up way too much. I'm not a storyline, <laughs> but it was a fun Twitter goof, I guess. I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it up this year. I, my Jinx powers, they've been subdued this year. I just haven't brought it. You know, I it just hasn't fully been there. I'll tweet about things. They don't get disproved by the end of the game. Uh, we'll see in the playoffs. I had some pretty... Uh, I, I think I was jinxing the team throughout the playoffs. I don't remember what it was, but I tweeted about something and like I was legitimately sweating. It was like during game seven or or something. Uh, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I might have tweeted about KD and then KD missed that shot or something like that or, or made the shot with the foot on the line. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I, I, I think the jinx this year has been subdued. I don't know if I have those powers anymore. I haven't had many moments where... You know, after the games, one of my tweets reemerges and people are being like, I can't believe you jinxed the Nets again. I haven't had that this year. So I'm going to retire it for now. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. We'll see what happens in 2022. It's a new year. Things can change. Things can return. Uh, Maybe it's a second half of the season jinx. But for now, I'm retiring it. I don't think it's it's around. I might might have to pour one out for the jinx which I'm sure nobody's sad about. Because by the way, the jinx never worked in favor for the Nets. It's always always negatively. It's never a good thing. Um, Last one. This is from Dasher on Twitter. Oh, this is, I love, I say this because it was so interesting. Uh, I just like, I don't, (laughs) I, I, it it just was interesting. Uh, If, if instead of being drafted number 55, 
by Portland, 2009 out of St. Mary's. Patty Mills had drafted number seven by Golden State out of Davidson. And the rest of the N- of NBA history drafts trades played out as it did in our timeline. How close uh, would have Mills gotten to Curry's career? Uh, <laughs> I like the idea of Mills like playing in Golden State schemes. Like he's playing in, you know, split cuts and things like that. Um, playing off Draymond Green would have been fun. Really fun. Probably don't think we would have gotten there because the rim finishing and like it's very quietly Mills handle just isn't that good. Like it's just not, it's just not, you know, it's not that he can't, he's like losing his dribble or anything, but when it comes to like pairing dribbles and putting multiple dribbles together, that's just not really Patty's game. So with that said, and the rim finishing, I mean, Curry was, a, especially in his MVP years, was such a good rim finisher. Um, he's better shooter too than Patty. Patty's a really good shooter. So I think all those things separate them, but I like the idea of this. Like, what would have this looked like? I mean, also, like, if you're looking at this technically, does does Steph get dealt to San Antonio in this situation? Because that's where it's really fun. Like the Patty thing, yeah, I don't know. I think Patty Mills would probably end up being Patty Mills. I don't, I don't know. Like it just he's a he's a specialist in a way, and he's a good defender, a good passer, but he is a specialist. He's not really pressuring the defense outside of the three point line. Um, but, but Steph on Golden State, oh boy, now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Cause all of a sudden it turns into, I wonder if Kawhi would have stayed, huh? Is that, that's kind of fun. And let's say they get LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't know if contract wise this would have worked out, but maybe because Steph signed that, you know, um, you know, that, that deal where he was just frankly underpaid. Um, maybe they could have gotten LaMarcus and all of a sudden you have a Kawhi LaMarcus in his, at the end of his prime Steph Curry team. That's pretty fun. I mean, you know, again, I, Steph Curry is never going to go 55 in a draft, but, uh, that's pretty fun. Right. So I like that hypothetical. I just want to end on that. Those questions are fun. I always enjoy doing those. Um, just think about how the league can be different, how a couple of decisions can completely change how, uh, the dynamics of power work within the association just fascinates me. So that's it. I did it. Oh my God. I got through everything with only an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening along. Uh, if you haven't already and you've enjoyed this podcast, hopefully you did. I, again, I think this turned out well. Uh, and I definitely want to do another one of these. Then this was fun. We'll, we'll do these throughout the year. But if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the clear out on Apple podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Um, Go ahead and subscribe. Leave a five-star rating. It's helps my show out. It's newer. You know, I started this at the beginning of this year, so we're, what, two months in? So th- that stuff really helps. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for all the questions. They were awesome. A lot of really good thought-provoking questions, um, which was fun. You were kind of in a strange part of the season where all of these games have been suspended, so it's nice to make my brain work a little bit and have the gears turn a little bit to think about the nets and prepare for the end of the season as we're hopefully integrating Kyrie Irving into the fold and getting into the final stretch of where this Nets team really figures out who they are. Um, But yeah, again, going to do these throughout the year. Definitely will post on Twitter, on Reddit, and and let you guys know when I'm doing that. I want to make this a thing for this podcast as a good way to answer your guys' questions, stay in contact with you guys, I guess, and just interact with you guys, and also make me think about the game in different ways. So... Again, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you all for listening. Go ahead and subscribe. 
and I will talk to you guys next time. Peace.